Hello, good afternoon, good morning, and welcome to the CX podcast R&R with myself, Richard Knight, and him over there. Uh, uh, yeah, and and hi, Ryan. Listen, I thought you were going to lapse into uh, a bit of Dutch, German and French then with that opening, opening those re- remarks that you, uh, you had then, Mr. Knight. Well, I'm, I am multi-talented, but I don't think I'll go that far. It might disturb people. But as people can probably see if they're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on the podcast, you won't know yet. But our special guest today has come all the way from sunny Salisbury, and he's still there, but he's on virtual virtual time. It's uh, Claude Weston from Casterbridge Wealth, and he's going to be joining us today to talk about all things consumer duty, uh, which has been something that he's, uh, he's, the time is ticking away for, and uh, Claude has kindly agreed to come along and uh, give us some words of wisdom and let us know how they've been getting on at Casterbridge Wealth. Hello, Claude, if you would like to say hello and introduce yourself to the team and our listeners it would be great thank you richard uh, yes good morning good afternoon to all uh, my name is Claude weston uh, i'm the compliance manager at castbridge wealth uh, we're a discretionary investment manager in salisbury um i also got the uh, joyous title of uh, money laundering reporting officer um so i am caught by the senior managers uh, regime uh, very much so this whole piece is is very very um key and sort of center to to what we're doing here at castbridge um, I'd love you to go straight into sort of some of the things that we've been doing. That would be fantastic without yeah. further ado. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be great. Yeah. I mean, just to let the listeners know, that's what we're going to be looking at today is literally this is out there. There's lots of big forms and guidance and what to do. But yeah, from your point of view, Claude, what is it that started you getting you know you down the journey and, and where have you got to so far with this July date sort of looming? Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, as most viewers that are uh, um, are involved in consumer duty will be aware, we, we had the sort of uh, October deadline for the implementation plans, which the regulator wanted everyone to at least uh, note that they had prepared. Um, so we've been sort of um, looking at consumer duty in earnest, really, from sort of July, August last year, uh, when we sort of set out some uh, sort of base training for the leaders of the business uh, to sort of do on a computer-based training sort of side. Uh, and then filter that down to other staff. Now, I must just jump in straight away to say that computer-based training is excellent as a um, as one string to your bow, but it's not the way to uh, just deliver all training. It's just to set the foundation. Uh, from, from there, we've been looking at the four outcomes, uh, the cross-cutting rules and the overarching sort of principle. Um, the area that really has sort of um, not caused us most concern, but where we've had to put most energy and effort into is the price and value assessments. And I don't think that's going to be um, too different for, for most people. Um, mm-hmm. Simply for us, um, how we've uh, tackled that on a sort of high level, I'm not going to go into the great details unless you want more, is um, really looking at our, how we charge uh, and is it sort of broadly consistent across our, our customer base. Um, and fortunately for us, we've only had to make a few little tweaks just to bring things into line so that we can justify it mm-hmm. um, ultimately uh, it's going to be different for every firm we're a discretionary investment manager so we sit up the chain we sort of have some uh, manufacturing elements that we're caught by rather than say an advisor where they're more on the distribution side um, but our key focus there is to one do the assessment and two then set out our school as to what we mean by price or what we understand by price and value uh, and really have a statement and that is uh, a commitment everyone's going to need to make they're going to have to have a price and value statement for each of your products Um, can can i just just ask because i'm just really conscious that that 
we are reasonably fortunate knowing a little bit about consumer duty but for for the layman who's listening and we've got listeners believe it or not claude in the states in in holland in france they're everywhere right so what what it, what does it mean to joe public what what is this going to give them i mean it sounds with with the greatest respect like you know you, you guys are in this all the time but for some people this might might sound a bit yawnsville so how is it going to protect them what's it all about well, um, let me just share with you my own personal sort of views as to uh, how uh, I think or why it's come about and what it aims to do. Uh, and I'll relate it back to Casterbridge as well. So there's been over the years various incentives uh, from the regulators to try and get um, product providers to be more uh, considering and uh, accountable for um, the, the products and services they deliver onto the market. Now, if I cite an example of uh, products that have been on the market nearly everyone will have heard of in the UK at least would be uh, for example PPI so it's a, uh, protection insurance um, that there was a massive scandal there's, there's lots of complaints come out the back of it um, lots of big players in, in the UK as in product providers were involved in this uh, and that's a classic example of where um, they didn't look out for, for foreseeable harm uh, and it was very much sort of a, it was sold on the front foot sort of uh, you know, just just upfront, sort of saying, oh, "This is what you need." There, there was no accountability at the back of it. There was um, millions. Of, sorry, yeah, there were millions of um, complaints and what have you off the back of it. Consumer duty is aiming to look at, and so what the failing there was, was the culture of product design, and not looking far enough ahead to if it was actually going to serve people well in a few years down the line. It may have been something that was appropriate at the day of point of sale. But was it appropriate a year later, two, three years later? Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that's a, a helpful example to bring into frame. So really, if I try and wrap it up in a nutshell, it's uh, for the financial services industries particularly, is, is to bring uh, greater accountability uh, and forethought into um, products that are being issued to the market. Thus, the intention being that what does land on the market is much more thought out and truly um, thinks about clients' needs mm-hmm. at the point of sale ongoing and through the whole customer journey so it is a big cultural shift for some entities so is this is this designing products called that uh start with the client in mind rather than the product or the operation in mind is that your point absolutely uh, i mean it is it's sort of compliance by design so let's not um think that it's a, a charity sort of uh, initiative every business needs to have a commercial angle but the commerciality uh, and the uh, client outcomes now need to be very much considered together. Uh, the regulator may say clients come first. Um, the, the industry will say, well, hang on a minute, we need to make a profit. But it's all about making a profit in a justified and fair manner rather than um, maybe saying having a, a exorbitant margins um, and um, you know, big commissions paid out um, to the sales force. Probably. Is, this is a good news story. Richard, very quiet. Come on, start asking some questions. No, broadly, no, broadly, this is a good news for the this is good news for the consumer, Claude. Is that is that is that the point here? Broadly speaking, yes, it should be absolutely. Uh, I, there are um, knock-on effects which may um, have a negative impacts down the line, whereby, say, for example, um, the regulatory burden with consumer duty and other things becomes so onerous. Us, that the smaller, more innovative players um, are unable to play because um, you need so much sort of capital and resource to sort of get off the ground. But uh, in principle, it is absolutely um, is looking out to strengthen the integrity of our sort of financial services market. Um, so you've got 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, it seems like a bit of a no brainer, really, isn't it? Let's be be nice to people and they might hang around and spend some more money with you. That might be a sort of a theme going on there in a commercial point of view, because we've got to make sure that we can exist, haven't we? And it's really interesting that, you know, that's really, that's a really, really strong focus from the customer point of view. And we're always talking about it, aren't we, Ryan? We're always talking about this fact that you've got to make sure that your starting point is, is the customer side of things. And when you get into, okay, so how do we deliver this? And you mentioned that value, value pricing piece, et cetera. The other one that sort of came, that comes through quite strongly as well, in terms of the terminology used is that vulnerability these yeah. consumer duties talking about vulnerable customers. So, I mean, yeah, wow, it's it's a bit a wide area to be thinking about. What's your what's your sort of view view on that, Claude, from Casterbridge point of view? Yeah, so uh, vulnerable customers. I mean, it's it's uh, it's something that's been uh, around and been considered by the FCA since pre twenty seventeen. There's various papers. I'm not going to cite them for the audience right now, but if you have a search and uh, vulnerable uh, customers uh, and consumers um, and FCA, you'll, you'll find plenty. Now, it is an absolute minefield. Uh, and there's the biggest danger here with, with a, a vulnerable client sort of piece is the fact that um, people don't uh, exercise and uh, step with enough caution uh, with regards to how they implement it into their businesses. And what I mean by that, I'll give you a great example. Um, so the FCA uh, suggests that people over 75 are vulnerable. They don't actually mean that. What they mean is uh, people at 75 and over are more likely to be vulnerable through age, just general uh, deterioration in health and what have you. There's people I know, and I'm sure you, you know, and people online watching will know, they'll know someone who's 85 and as sharp as a tack. Um, so you can't just brush everyone with the same label. But what they're saying there with the 75 is that you need to consider harder uh, uh, with clients over 75. Um that, that that's an example um the other thing about vulnerability which i'm trying to get out without sort of giving you too many words is the fact that there's two elements of vulnerability that there's permanent vulnerability uh say for example um blind or hard of hearing well, it doesn't mean you can't think straight it just means that there's materials you need in whether it's braille or or um uh, audio or whatever um so that, that's a permanent then you've got temporary vulnerabilities and this is the minefield and this is where the industry really needs to stay sharp and, and then ensure that they can demonstrate um to their clients and to the regulator that they consider this so temporary vulnerability could be uh depression it could be loss of a job um divorce um bereavement um hopefully most of those things although they may take years rather than months to pass are, are temporary but these are all factors that come into play when the uh, regulator is asking firms to consider uh, vulnerable clients the danger is, is you could label everyone as vulnerable so you have to um you have to make a make a call and a check as to how deep and far do you go mm -hmm. does, that, does that make sense yeah absolutely it is a really interesting one to be in because you know if we if we took everybody as being vulnerable or somebody having a vulnerability at some point, then nothing will ever get done. So, okay, well, we, we won't advise you on anything. We won't sell anything in just in case you, you know, you're not feeling your best today and are vulnerable. Of course, there mm -hmm. has to be pragmatism in the, in the, in the whole thing. And I think it sounds like that there is um, a lot of education for internal for your teams to actually be able to understand what that means and then to be able to be asking the right questions and listening for appropriate answers 
to actually then be able to make the right decisions or make the right choices out of that. Does, does that mean, and you mentioned your online training previously, is there a lot of internal training and getting the team together and for them to really start to understand the impact of, of this consumer duty? Would that be fair? Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, so consumer duty and vulnerability, I'll just keep on the vulnerability for one more moment. Yeah. And that, uh, I've, we've been talking about it and training it out softly over the last year or so. Um, but actually, uh, only yesterday, um, I issued out another um, consumer duty bit of training. It's actually just a sort of 30-minute uh 28 minute video clip uh, and some questions following up just to sort of consolidate people's understandings. Um, and one uh, thing that they pulled out there, which is really well, two, two points I'm going to mention. Uh, one was around uh, the fact that actually there's about 5 million people in the UK who've never used the internet. So if you've got a proposition, which is very, very, very digital focused, yeah. uh, you need to consider um, is that fair and, and open for, for all of the audience? Um, and the other thing, uh, sort of going a bit more sort of down into the detail, is that when you're engaging with a client, whether it's an existing client or a new one, uh, and you're explaining something, if you've got any suspicion uh, that they're maybe just nodding and, and saying yes because they don't want to sort of um, you know lose face, um, it's down to us now to get into our processes, ways of reaffirming understanding. So imagine we have a, a conversation like this. It's on, it's on Zoom or Teams. That's absolutely fine. We can do that from a, from a regulated perspective. Uh, we'll keep our recordings. But we'll go back uh, where, where we've had these concerns or have concerns. We'll go back in writing and, and ask them to sort of reaffirm. Or even at the end of the chat, we'll ask them to tell back to us in their words their understanding of uh, what we've just explained. Now, that's a skill in itself because you don't want to come over as condescending uh, or, or suggesting that they're stupid. Um, but it's so that that's that's where some of the skills. And if I'm honest, Casterbridge haven't got to focus on that as much as uh, so the direct um, sales line. So down the distribution chain for us is an independent financial. They're the ones that are having more of the face to face. Uh, we're up the chain. They're they're, they're promoting our. Um, so they're the ones that will be having more of that to do. But we still have that uh, to consider ourselves because once more after onboarding, so the new business has been written, uh, we, we have direct chats with our clients. And there have been a number of occasions where we haven't been 100% sure or confident that they really got what we said. So two things that we've been doing in the past, which we'll bring forward into consumer duty mm -hmm. from onwards, is one, going back to them or putting back into writing, clarifying understanding, but also circling back with their financial advisor. And so just to bring it very cast to bridge uh, and the vulnerability bit before we just move on to broader consumer duty, we see it as a sort of tripartite agreement. Uh, we, we have we have the customer, the end customer, the retail client. We've got the financial advisor. They're a customer of ours too. Yeah. They're, they're professional. So we expect them to have a degree of understanding. And then there's us. Um, and because the advisor and Casterbridge have the contact with the client we've we've already got agreement with all of our advisors if they notice any vulnerabilities that they'll tell us you know discreetly and vice versa uh, and, and that's sort of uh, it's not a silver bullet but that's uh, one of the sort of key uh, controls and sort of changes that we sort of have implemented uh, already uh, we didn't have to wait until the 31st of July to make that happen so that, that's the that's the uh, that's the vulnerability sort of piece um, not completed yeah. but no, no, very no. much yeah, on it. 
And that's that's a fantastic point, actually, and one that I, you know, that often miss is the fact that those advisors, you know, there's there's a large uh, a range of FCA regulated organisations that this is is impacting, or is going to, you know, make make things better for them ultimately. Um, but you know, we've got to think that there are different customers at different points in all of these these customers' journeys. Uh, whether it's the direct retail, you know, the person who's buying that end product or whether it is that financial advisor is really interesting point to make. Are organizations clear in their communication about what the product is, what they're offering so that that advisor can then sell it inappropriately? So, yeah, rather than, you know, if there are some organization there, organizations out there who think they sit that little bit further back or higher on the, the chain, if you're right, like you put it, then they still have got yeah. to have a look at how they're communicating and checking that things are landing in the right way. So I think that's a, a really great point for our listeners to be sort of, you know, taking on board um, if they haven't done so already. Brian, did you want to? Yeah, I want to ask a question just, just in, in the interest of, uh, I guess, uh, time as well, but um, in terms of the top tips that you'd give at Casterbridge, you know, in terms of prepping, yourself we work as you as you as you know we work with lots and lots of different professional service firms and it's a highly regulated industry any professional service it is um but often i you know i will spot sometimes that uh professionals rightly or wrongly might might hide behind that regulation um and, and all the stuff that i've seen and read about consumer duty suggests that it's more than that it's about you know making sure that communication as richard just said and that interaction with the client uh you know the, the client output is is front and center so what tips have you got for making maybe the stuff you've already done at Casterbridge that you know making consumer duty a success yeah thank you absolutely and yeah, there are a few things to share and um, from our perspective which will read across to many um so just to call i think out a, a couple um from a sort of a products and services sort of perspective if um, we, we've got a sort of advisor uh, focus group because they are sort of first touch on distribution chain. So we've been sort of discussing with them our sort of plans and thoughts, how, how things are going to work and change. Um, and getting their feedback really because at the end of the day, they've got to, they've got to sell our, 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 our distribute our, our products. Um, coming into uh, in still that sort of area about sort of product governance um we've already done or always done and we'll continue to do sort of biannual checks on on people's products um against um how much money they've got and, and their risk because that changes all the time and so we've already che always checked in on that the, the the flip of that would be firms where they sell something uh and then no real attention in two years they've not looked in two years to whether that person's balance has gone up or down whether they're naturally now uh, uh you know viable for a, a better the different products up or down the chain and similarly have their objectives changed maybe there's been you know, they've got a new job or maybe that you've actually had to move and therefore they've got less income so it's all about that sort of checking in and rebalancing other tips uh thinking consumer understanding is massive and you mentioned this so uh product literature is absolutely key and that's not just about the brochures it's about also um the communications from onboarding and all the way through so what we've got is uh we've got together a sort of uh, a literature focus group which is uh we started off calling it the mums group but it's not just that it does include a couple of mums but we've got people from uh sort of all cohorts we've got six people we've, we've sent out um our key brochures and some of our standard letters from onboarding and ongoing and just ask them to red pen it and say you know circle stuff they don't understand or or, or, or get them to ask us questions now we're in the midst of that so we've had some great feedback love that uh, <laughs> 
Uh, and that's going to be really powerful. Uh, well, it'd be as powerful as it is how well we take on the feedback and implement, to be quite honest. It, it's not just about going and asking the questions. It's then about circling back around and seeing where you can make some really positive and, and, and sort of helpful changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was yeah, that was on the, uh, the consumer understanding side of things. Um, in terms of sort of uh, consumer support, uh, well, again, I guess, well, actually, sort of between consumer support and consumer understanding is actually going out and surveying your clients. Um, what better way uh, than to just to say to um, your clients that you've had maybe for five years, three years, and just last month, you know, how are you finding things? That's a really good thing to do. And um, but I must wave a flag here around um, the, your PI insurers. So if you are going to go out to your customers with a survey, you must absolutely must and i'm sure most know this but it's just a little nudge reminder here you must consult your pi insurers beforehand because uh the reason for it being is that you may incite unknowingly unwittingly a, a, a stream of complaints because you're actually sort of poking the you know you're poking the bear and so it's not to say don't it's just mm-hmm. to say proceed with you know due caution uh i i believe that um all firms should be out over 10, 12 years. Uh, and even from the first year, I can remember my early complaints training is that a complaint is a gift. It's an opportunity to give that client a hug and put things right and really show them your commitment. Uh, and that stands. So even though that's 12 or years old or older, it still comes into play. Uh, and so obviously we're going back to, I'm saying we're serving, surveying clients and it may actually um make them bring up other issues that they've not wanted to talk about before because the public are, you know clients are, are, are a funny bunch and we value them highly um but you can't tell what they're thinking all the time and in, in your industry uh, you found very much similar things and people won't say anything but if you ask them something you think it's an innocuous question they suddenly come out with a barrage so that's the reason about contacting pi uh, beforehand mm-hmm. um there are a few others that may just sort of come back to mind uh, sort of, uh, down the line in the, on the conversation. But yeah, they're, they're some of the sort of key ones. I think the other piece really is about is about culture uh, and where it's hard to assess culture and also hard to assess your um, colleagues uh, and staff sort of perception of the firm itself. We've actually uh, initiated, well, it's actually been initiated by our managing director, um, a, a culture survey, internal one. So that's been out around. Um, in fact, we've sort of, it gets issued periodically. Um, that's been out to the staff. And that's the way of the senior management team getting a grip of, of how does staff feel about what we do? Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, sometimes there's a disconnect between the board's view. And I'm not talking about cartridge here. I'm just talking generally between the board's view uh, and the shop floor. Uh, and I think it's really important that the uh, you know the, the senior management teams of firms are brave enough and do engage and really really tackle, because the best feedback you're going to get sometimes is for your from from your staff, and it comes from put yourself in the customer's shoes. Would you recommend this product to your mum or your uncle or, or whoever in your family maybe it may be relevant to? It might not be relevant to your mum, so you wouldn't recommend it. So if you've got relative friend or family who you think actually this 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 product, what we do here, that would that would suit them. They've got the capital or whatever. Would you recommend it? And if the answer is no, then you need to do some digging and find out, you know, what what changes can be made to uh, turn that around. Because that makes sense. Yeah, it's a really great way of putting it. Actually, you know, we we talk all the time about customer shoes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but that idea of would you recommend to a, a family member? Yeah, exactly. Would you be comfortable with them put putting their hard hard earned cash? 
in that pot in that product or whatever it is so yeah it's, it's a great one to do and that and that cultural piece is is a critical one you know the cultures of the financial uh, establishments who do anything just to make a buck etc cetera, etc cetera. it can really make you know be quite a a big thing um to be thinking about and we've got to change that around in in, in everything we do in in multiple sectors so you know it's really important to to focus on that as well I, I really, I I was just up on yeah. that point, Mr. I really love, I love your test driving, the onboarding documents with your clients and getting them to red pen that because, you know, the amount of time we hear when we survey clients that they really don't understand what they're signing up for, they don't understand the small print or they don't understand the language that's used, um, and therefore um, that they they feel often misinformed and misalted. And and the reality there is that drives higher dissatisfaction at a client experience level than anything else. Because actually, if you don't establish that early doors, then, you know, it, you're on a hiding to nothing. But the other thing I thought was really smart in what you said, Claude, was, you know, this this um, this this constant, you know, reviewing with a client, you know, checking in with them regularly. How is their investment doing? You know, what 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 changes should you make? You know, again, that that's. We, we would call that reverse client journey because in reality, you as a professional reaching back out to your clients rather than the inbound inquiries coming in. And again, lots of professional service firms don't do that well. You know, they wait to be contacted. They wait for um, there, there to be a problem. And then, you know, you know the, the customer rescue then happens. But it certainly sounds if you guys at Casterbridge are on it. Yeah. <laughs> certainly does. So, right, yeah, I mean, it's it's an ongoing uh, it's an ongoing piece of work, and, and I'm sure you both um, are minded to know, and I trust most of the audience will be. But it really must also iterate that it's not a one stop shop. It's not a race, 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 race. Get everything done by the 31st of July, and then right, that's it. We've just we've got everything. You know, we've got consumer duty on our board agenda at the top, and and it is, uh, and other and other things like that. But it's not just tick. It's uh, it's living and breathing it going forward so uh, as you're saying ryan with regard to um you know, our our sort of uh our, our sort of biannual sort of um checks um they won't um just for clarity they might not always go directly out to the client but what we do is we look at their products and let's just say if, if i may just go into a little bit of detail say that say there's there's three lines of products and you've got something whereby clients under a hundred thousand may be um best deemed into into a uh, uh, solution a and then those between uh, 100 and 250 may be in solution B, and then those 250 above solution C. But the thing is that people's people's values go up and down. They'll take some money out to buy a car, or they might put some money in because they've got a bonus or sold a house and whatever. So it's us actively monitoring that. Now you can't tinker with everything every second because otherwise you'd be forever changing. But that's why we do a six monthly. We think that's fine. We do that and then we go back to the client and or the advisor, dependent on the individual relationship because some we have more direct interaction with the client even though they have an advisor in the background, vice versa. Um, and so that, as you say, Ryan, that is, that is, that's the key thing. I think it's really important that we continue to maintain that because also sometimes the, the, the charges may change between the two because you're getting more or less. Sometimes people need more, sometimes they need less and we're really, really keen and this is even pre-consumer duty, something I'm very sort of passionate about is we want to take charges from people where they're getting value if someone's overpaying because they've actually slipped from being solution b to solution a then we want to put that right as quickly as possible not that they're changing every five seconds but you know it's the, the core um principle yeah. yeah it's doing doing the best for the client doing the best for the customer isn't it you know it's it, ethical it, it's piece. simple 
helps everybody yeah. out. Everybody's winning. Um, and, you know, and I think from today's podcast, we can know that our listeners are winning as well because they've had some fantastic insight from you, Claude, uh, turning this sort of mythical beast of consumer duty into something that actually, okay, yeah, that makes sense and is absolutely doable across uh, every FCA regulated organization um, and something that non FCA regulated organizations can learn a thing or two from as well. Um, so uh, I think the key thing there is, is around the customers and they're getting, they're getting the best out of it um, so that they keep coming back. As I say, they keep returning and they shout about your organization and say how great you are as well. So there is, as we said, lots of wins in that. So it's, uh, it's been a fantastic half hour to, to chat with you, Claude. Thank you very much. And um, we will be back in contact, see how things are going with that. Ryan, anything else just to finish? No, with Claude, you? great, great chat. It's lovely to have somebody else to talk to other than him because uh, he whittles on. So uh, any anytime you fancy coming back, you're more than welcome. But thanks for your time. No, my, my pleasure. Yeah, very happy to come back um, and we can maybe uh, have a look at it um, post 31st of July. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Great. Well, thank you very much to all our listeners out there. Thank you, Claude. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Um, we will be back in a month's time with more Warblins from the West Country. So thank you very much. It's goodbye from me. Uh, yeah, goodbye from me too. And listen, if you like what you heard, like, share and comment.